The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to stop wasting time and make a shift towards enhanced productivity? Welcome to Breakthrough to Yes with Collaboration, featuring your host, David B. Savage. In our program, we will show you how leaders and their organizations are using collaboration to innovate and move ahead of their competition. It's not just about customers or employees or the board. It's working together throughout your company and with your stakeholders. Now, here is David B. Savage. Welcome, listeners from across our planet. In my upcoming book, Breakthrough to Yes, I set out 10 steps that are essential to successful collaboration. This show theme is Make It So, and this is Step 10 of 10. This show features four great leaders with business connections across the planet. Prabha Sankarnarayan, she is the president of Mediators Beyond Borders. Atul Tandon of the Tandon Institute and former head of World Vision. Johan Lavoie of McKinsey and & Company. And Michael Hill, one of the world's leading stroke and brain specialists. Our key messages today include 1. Examine and change the existing ways we do things to capitalize on the collaborative process, outcomes, and the organization's rules of engagement. Yeah, examine them and change them. Number two, as a human being, if you're first forced to collaborate or act, you do it without life energy. Make collaboration yours. And three, collaboration is the highway where all people can be linked and honored. That's right, all people. Here's a quote from my upcoming book, Breakthrough to Yes, Unlocking the Possible Within a Culture of Collaboration, on the topic of Make It So. To make it so, you will need to design and follow through on A. Accountabilities B. Reporting C. Continuous improvement Postmortem, what worked, what didn't, how we are together now, what's the f- needed for the future D. Building the collaborative muscle in your organization E. Learning from successes and failures F. Using accepted evaluation tools and G. Integration. Changing the existing ways we do things to capitalize on the collaborative process, outcomes, and the organization's rules of engagement. Build your culture of collaboration according to the circumstance and your need. Now we'll go to an interview with my good friend, Dr. Michael Hill. Dr. Michael Hill is a professor for the Departments of Clinical Neurosciences, Community Health Sciences, and Medicine and Radiology at the University of Calgary. He is Director of the Stroke Unit for the Calgary Stroke Program, Alberta Health Services. Michael's research interests include stroke thrombosis, stroke epidemiology. I don't know why in this moment, Michael, I can't say epidemiology, (laughs) and surveillance and clinical trials. 
hopefully my brain is uh, a little more agile than it uh, seems to be in this moment. Uh, Michael recently completed the ESCAPE trial demonstrating the benefit of endovascular stroke therapy. He is funded by the Canadian Institutes for Health Research and holds the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Alberta and Northwest Territory Nunavut Professorship in Stroke Research. Uh, Michael, um, I could go on and on about your accomplishments and your heart um, and what you've done. What I want to say is, uh, oh, I think it was about uh, a year ago, 18 months ago, you were looking to move the escape trials forward and we had some conversations about how we might work together, what we might do. Since that time, you've made huge success, made an incredible announcement, I think it was about four months ago. Um, And for our listeners, what I'll say, one of the things I care most deeply about my friend Michael Hill is he's the one in our Heart and Stroke Foundation board meetings that invites us to his cabin in the Kananaskis and he ensures that we have walking meetings so he walks his talk, literally. So, Michael, tell us more about you and what is the ESCAPE trial and what's the success there? Well, as you said, I'm, I'm a neurologist and I'm interested in, in clinical care and trying to make, trying to make outcomes better for, for my patients and, and obviously the patients that my colleagues treat and, and stroke victims around the, around the country and even around the world. And so... The escape trial was um, was one one way of uh, of our our attempt to try and move the bar on how you treat uh, stroke. Stroke has multiple manifestations and different types, and and this trial uh, looked at a specific treatment for some of the most severe types of strokes. It's not for all stroke by any means, but those patients who are afflicted with a major stroke, we were able to show convincingly that uh, a particular um, really team approach to therapy, and I, I'd really emphasize the team approach here uh, with using advanced imaging and then uh, using catheters to to remove clots and uh, and open up blocked arteries was a highly successful way of treating stroke patients and and for for certainly for some people we we took them from being completely paralyzed to you know walking home out of the hospital in a couple of days. So, so the the results were dramatic, and and um, they have ushered in a new uh, a new era for stroke therapy, not only in Canada but but around the world. Now, around the world, uh, the number twenty two is in the back of my mind. Tell us how many uh, uh, universities, researchers, what, who were the people you were working together to create this escape? Yeah. So. Um, so when you do uh, clinical trials, it, it really is a, a team effort, not only in your local team, but you need to recruit uh, like-minded colleagues and teams from, from uh, other hospitals and other centers. So we did that. We actually recruited um, uh, about 25 sites to be involved in the trial in Canada, United States, um, Europe, England, and South Korea. And in the end, uh, it turned out that because our results were so dramatic, the, the safety board that was monitoring our trial uh, advised us that we should stop the trial early. So only 22 sites actually enrolled patients in the study. But um, that was exciting and that was, a, that was a big part of the collaboration was, was, was working with people from around the world who, who were able to achieve the same fast, uh, speedy and team-based stroke therapy that resulted in these great outcomes. 
So you've had lots of challenges to get to this success. Tell us about one or two of your biggest challenges. Getting enough sleep. <laughs> um, you know, um, so I, I think uh, there, there were there were there were lots of challenges. I mean, I think the first challenge we had was to was to convince people that our concept of how we should be treating uh, these these patients was the right one, and and that took a. That took a, it did take some convincing, right? It took it did some. There's some moral suasion arguments and and a lot of academic and scientific discussion about why the approach that we were proposing was the best one and why they should work with us to prove that that this was the best one. So that 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 took a lot of work, and we, we you know we argued that case in the academic literature. We wrote articles about it, and we argued that case one-on-one in, in formal presentations, and we argued that case one-on-one in, in informal presentations over a beer, you know, and that, so that was, a, that, that was a, and perhaps that latter was the most important uh, aspect of convincing people. And the second part was, was getting funding to, to get the trial done, and that, that's what, as you mentioned in your introduction, that is one of the things you and I had spoken about, uh, you know, 18 months or 24 months ago, about how to, how to fund these kind of initiatives. Um, the, the funding, the funding of of investigator-led or investigator-initiated clinical trials is very much uh, it's a very conservative environment, right? Where where the public funding agencies that we have and and even the charitable ones um, with peer review, uh, it's it's conservative such that it's rare that you would get funded on the first go round uh, of a funding of a funding cycle, and that means that it takes often a very long time to get. Independent funding to make something like this happen. So the 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 nature of what we were able to do was um, was to get um, to get we had a consortium style funding, and that was that was the way we we were able to achieve it in the yeah, end. I've I've I really uh, empathize. Yes, it's such important work, such important work for uh, me and others in the uh, yuppie generation, because this is our future. Uh, and I and you're in a particular circumstance where a uh, the governments aren't funding like they used to, and and the public and the governments like to have quick hits, and and research stroke research just isn't that way, and and b you can't be uh, contaminated by the, your source of funding. You need to be so clean and clear. One one of the things that I've I was particularly wanted to uh, talk about before we close, Michael is. What's next? Like you've you've developed some things, some outreach opportunities to to say, okay, what's next to to connect funding to researchers to to build on your work and the escape uh, process well, that you've already successfully rolled out. What's next? Well, uh, maybe two two uh, answers or two aspects to your question. One is you're right about the the funding side and. And it's uh, you know it's appropriate at many levels to be conservative, particularly when you're dealing with public money from taxpayers or, or even if it's charitable donations for organizations like the one that we're both participate in, the Heart and Stroke Foundation in Alberta. Um, you know, it, 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 but but it's challenging. So we're interested in in using some of the novel ways that things have been funded. For example, crowdsourcing the Kickstarter kind of model, uh, and if that can be if that if that could be organized in a way. That would make sense for people to to um, to either donate or give funding to, towards these kind of developments. Then we'd be we're, we're interested in trying to figure out a, a mechanism to do that. 
because because there is an issue of speed. Uh, so whereas uh, running a large uh, clinical trial operation is very much like developing a new startup business from the ground up, it does that you know you can imagine that the tempo of how you do it and the momentum you build is important. And without that momentum and tempo, often often things fail. So so that's an important feature. The second aspect of your question is where might things go next for stroke treatment, and I, I guess I would say there are two key things. One is to be able to implement what we have shown to be effective. So we showed it to be effective in a highly organized, 22 highly organized centers in the world, and to now be able to translate that therapy to multiple hospitals and sites uh, across Canada and even within Alberta uh, where we are and then around the world is going to take a lot of effort. It, it It is a situation where the therapy works, but it only works in, the, in a highly organized and efficient setting. So that's going to take a lot of teaching, a lot of practice change. So we're doing that. And then the second thing is, is a, a really important one to recognize that although we did have success in this trial and it's terrific that we have, I think, moved the bar, um, we all acutely, and I acutely recognize that um, only half of our patients had a really good outcome, which means that half of our patients did badly, and there was still a significant mortality from the strokes that we were treating. So we have a lot of work to do to try and improve that, and we're looking to uh, to continue on with our efforts in clinical trials and try to find new therapies so that we can help more patients. Now, we do have listeners in uh, at least 12 countries around the world there's going to be some of them, uh, Michael, that are saying, how do I find out more? How do I connect? I've got an idea or I'd like some money to put some money behind this process. How, how do people uh, contact you or your group? Um, well, we're, you can certainly find us easily on, on the web. So our, our, we have a website at the University of Calgary, um, so it's easy to find us, ucalgary.ca. Or you could look up through the the uh, the trial. There's an uh, escapetrial.org website, so it should be, and that's exactly as it as it's spelled and sounds. So you could get access to it there. But I'd also encourage listeners who are elsewhere, whether you're in Europe, Asia, United States, or in Canada, um, to look at your local source of information. In Canada, that's the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada. And there's a, there's a good website which describes some of the activities, including the research activities that are available through, uh, through there. And then in the United States, the, the two organizations are the American Stroke Association and the National Stroke Association. So both of those groups are, are key. Um, and then I think in, in other countries, it'll be specific to, specific to that country. So there, there are lots of resources out there uh, available. Many of them are easily accessible through the web. Now, before we close, Michael, what's one thing you wish our listeners to do or become more aware of to improve their collaborative success? Um, I would say that probably the, the biggest lesson I, I would take from, the, or, or I guess that, that, I, that we tried to implement in the escape trial process was that there's just nothing like one-on-one meetings and pressing the flesh to talk to people and explain your ideas to them in detail. And uh, it's just not enough to, to use uh, electronic media or to assume that other people will think the same way you're going to think. So I think a lot of our success related to the fact that we went to visit everybody on their turf at their sites. We had a meal with them. We had a beer with them and, and talked through all of the issues. Uh, and I, I, I just, it's a qualitative thing, observation, but I, I think it's the, 
I think it was one of the key reasons why the trial went so well. Thank you so much, Dr. Michael Hill. David B. Savage and his upcoming book, Breakthrough to Yes, Unlocking the Possible Within a Culture of Collaboration, delivers a proven process to make collaboration work for you and your company. While creating the conditions that promote innovation and breakthroughs within and across your business and network, seize this opportunity to join a movement of progressive, principled, and successful leaders. Engage with David B. Savage on Breakthrough to Yes today. Bring him to speak to your organization and engage his executive coaching and business consulting. See much more at davidbsavage.com. Savage's book, Breakthrough to Yes, Unlocking the Possible Within a Culture of Collaboration, will be published worldwide in February 2016. His co-shared book, Ready, Aim, Excel, 52 Leadership Lessons, is an international business bestseller on Amazon. Contact us now for a free 30-minute conversation on how more collaborative leadership may benefit you by visiting davidbsavage.com. That's davidbsavage.com. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. You are listening to Breakthrough to Yes with Collaboration. To reach David B. Savage or his guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Dave at savagemanage.com. Now, back to Breakthrough to Yes with Collaboration. Atul Tandon, our next guest, is a serial entrepreneur, nonprofit leader, humanitarian, and author with a 30-year track record of successfully birthing, building, scaling, and turning around some of the world's largest, best-known, and impactful for-profit and not-for-profit enterprises. Atul has really got a track record. Um, he has impacted industries, in, including commercial banking, e-commerce, consumer marketing, microfinance, humanitarian relief, and development and donor engagement worldwide. In 2011, Mr. Tandon launched Tandon Institute, a global advisory firm serving select nonprofit and social sector organizations worldwide capacity to rapidly accelerate their impact, revenues, public engagement, and leadership effectiveness. Atul will tell you that uh, you really can't separate those. Uh, these are not strategies. This is his way that he coaches us to do. Atul currently serves on the board of Wycliffe, USA, and CLA. He has been named one of America's most influential and effective fundraisers by the Nonprofit Times and was a catalyst for the One Campaign, which has brought more than 3 million people together to fight extreme poverty and diseases. 
Atul, thank you so much for offering your wisdom today. How else could you introduce yourself, your work, and how people, our listeners, can learn more about you? Well, uh, thank you, Dave, and thank you for inviting me to the show, and uh, I'm so excited. And thanks for that introduction. Well, you know, uh, I have to say, listening to all that, uh, uh, people have been talking about the uh, global village, uh, Dave, for a while. And I feel like I've been uh, a construction worker on site uh, for the past 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) And the work still continues. Uh, So excited for that. It it really is, uh, you know, uh, testimony to so many people who have come before and are presently engaged and will come down the road as we build a a global community where, uh, you know, not just uh, thousands, but hundreds of millions of people can enjoy a a thriving life and future. And, uh, well, where can you find out more about me? You know, uh, Wikipedia has a profile, of course, uh, and uh, otherwise uh, our website, tandoninstitute.com. Uh, your your uh, listeners can definitely go to either and learn more about me. Well, I'll, I'll quote a little bit about what Wikipedia tells about a tool. Quote, Tandon's foremost contribution has been in developing and gaining industry-wide acceptance for a charity's two-sided mission, one that seeks to impact its beneficiaries and the other that seeks to change hearts and minds amongst its donors and supporters. These ideas around supporter transformation and the ethics of engaging donors are now gaining widespread recognition. Tell us more about that, Atul. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And uh, Dave, that came to me as uh, you know, I came from the world of uh, global banking, consumer banking, to the world of nonprofits about 2000. And uh, one thing I noticed early on was that uh, the nonprofit community, uh, the folks who uh, tended to focus on the impact side of its mission, on uh, and uh, you know, uh, uh, arguably and understandably, uh, activists who, who were excited about a cause, whether it was helping children uh, in Africa or it was uh, cleaning rivers uh, in in America, uh, they got together and they launched these organizations. So, by design, they were focused on on the impact that they're going to have. And almost accidentally, uh, they really literally almost had their backs towards uh, their donors, uh, uh, right? And they lean forward towards the beneficiary, but really your back is to the donor. And I thought to myself, well, really, is that the right role and posture for these organizations, or should it be different? Are they really, uh, you know, should be sideways? In one hand, they hold... Uh, the beneficiary and the other, uh, they, they, the donor, and their connectors. They are bridges between the two. And, uh, you know, if you use that uh, bridge metaphor, Dave, then, well, the stronger the bridge that the nonprofit leaders and communities can build, there'll be more traffic. You can have a, a tiny bridge that a one, uh, you know, a bicycle rickshaw will make over one at a time, or you could have a two-tier, double-decker, six-lane highway. And really, that's the charge that I think the nonprofit community has, is to build those six-lane highways on two tiers between uh, their beneficiary and their donors and make both realize their dreams, not only one. Yeah, it is uh, true engagement, true uh, connection, uh, not only to the cause and the outcomes, as you say, because when when, um, not-for-profits have their back to their donors – 
in a very uh, judgmental thing, I might say they're thinking about the check as opposed to yeah. the vision, the dream, the leadership that they can do together in collaboration. Indeed the case. It's almost like you start to treat your donor like uh, a, a checkbook or an ATM machine. And, and really that donor is coming alongside the nonprofit to really see the nonprofit as a way to help them accomplish their dreams and their, uh, you know, desires uh, for uh, a, a better world. And then, which is what, you know, and from at least what now neuroscientists tell us, uh, Dave, in, in fact, that process of giving uh, uh, generates a sense of uh, personal fulfillment and well-being in, in donors. So, and at the same time, not the process of receiving, but the process of engaging in improving uh, th their own lot for the beneficiary helps beneficiary become stronger and, and more courageous and in many ways actually more collaborative when, when they find uh, nonprofit partners that want to work with them, uh, not as a handout, uh, 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 but really there to give them a hand up, if you will. Yeah, so much of your work, Tool, speaks to oneness, speaks to spirit, speaks to respect and love, and yeah. and also speaks to way more profound business. Tell us, tell us a little bit about how this all comes together for you. Thank you. Well, talking about oneness, and let me just uh, recount a little bit of the story of the One Campaign that uh, hopefully answers uh, some of your questions. And, uh, uh, Dave, the way that, uh, you know, uh, the group of us, I think it was in the, uh, oh, the summer of 2003, uh, uh, Mark Lindbergh was at that time at University of Washington. He's passed on uh, a great loss to, to all of us. He brought us together and said, hey, we've got to work. These were uh, nonprofit leaders from, I think, eight to ten organizations, World Vision Care, Doctors Without Borders, uh, uh, the International Rescue Committee, uh, and there were several others. Uh, and we all got together to say, how do we change uh, the mindset of the American public? Uh, about, uh, you know, about international aid uh, and uh, humanitarian assistance. And it was a huge, huge task. And we had been, we were just, you know, it's small people, if you will, and uh, getting together in a coffee shop, and we didn't have a clue. And uh, But we had this idea. He said, okay, we've, uh, Mark said, you got to work together, find a solution, find a way. So we all put our brains together and say, okay, well, the way to get attention and leverage it is uh, somebody said there's a presidential campaign happening next year. What if we could start to ask, uh, you know, in the, the early poll states at that time, where, were the, where, where the early polling happens uh, in the presidential primaries, what if we were to start to ask uh, community organizers in those states to, to uh, really start to raise the question of what do the candidates think about, uh, you know, improving uh, helping people who are around the world who, who who don't have it as good as we have it here in America and, and what's their... So that idea, it got to cold. I think it was the IRC folks who had uh, access. They had placed refugees in, those, in many of those communities. So we got them organized. Uh, the Gates Foundation gave us a small help to, to, to uh, really seed it. Uh, so we got them on board. And off we went and, you know, there was Eight of us, our organizations give us, uh, uh, they, they give the sign-off, sure, let's do this. It helps everybody, our country, uh, our communities, uh, you know, the organizations, uh, it was a win-win. 
and turned out we were successful. We, we got a whole bunch of young people excited in those uh, states, and, uh, you know, uh, when we did the, the polling after the primaries, clearly uh, in, in those states we, we had a very discernible bump. And that eventually, this was the uh, Bush-Kerry campaign, and eventually that led to, uh, as, the, as this work, uh, you know, increased, and it's, uh, uh, it's almost like a snowball, it, it kept on increasing in size, and Jamie Drummond at that time was uh, part of data, and he was talking to the one campaign with Bono, and, uh, you know, uh, some of our leaders were chatting with Jamie, and we all got together and said, this is, is from what they are doing there within the one campaign, what we are doing, makes sense for us to, frankly, come together. And we all thought, uh, the, the founder team, well, Bono and Jamie have a better chance of succeeding with this uh, and taking it forward. Uh, than we do in our small collaborative. So let's really merge with them. And off we went, and you know, and you know the rest of the story. <laughs> so it, it really, yeah, from a small coffee shop and the campus of University of Washington down to the one campaign, so many years later, you can see the trail. And uh, that trail, that track is uh, frankly of uh, a small group of people thinking about, uh, like you said earlier, completely audacious thoughts, <laughs> unimaginable to any one of us individually, uh, but having the courage uh, to follow through. And more than that, uh, Dave, uh, the, the uh, desire to collaborate, that when we work together, you know, we, we can achieve great things uh, and really uh, focus on the common good versus the personal good. And yeah. when we focus on that common good is what the one campaign has showed us, uh, personal good results down the road. So yes, the, I've just yeah. been excited to be part of uh, uh, that initiative and many others along uh, the way, uh, very similar. We could yes. fill the rest of your show with stories. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much, Atul, because uh, you, your heart starts from India and so rapidly goes to America, to the world, to Africa. And uh, I'm so glad that you're, uh, you have audacious vision. So in this moment, as we close this interview, what's one thing you would challenge our listeners to do or become more aware of to make their collaborations more successful? Well, here's what I would say. I would say three things, uh, as, and these are, each of them are challenging, frankly, but I think what it takes to be successful, one, listen first and speak later. Uh, two is uh, when we are speaking with, engaging with somebody, really try hard to understand their motivations. You know, the answer, what's in it, not for me, but what's in it for them. And when you find, uh, when you've heard that and you understand their motivations, look for areas of uh, genuine overlap where uh, you, know, you can help each other, work with each other. And as you identify those areas, that's where you start to work. And uh, you know, instead of focusing on the nots, focus on, 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 on the haves. And uh, be genuine about that. Be a genuine listener. Be uh, genuine about understanding who they are, what their motivations are, and be genuine about it is where we can work together. Uh, and uh, work together for not only mutual benefit, but for the benefit of the larger whole. Uh, and you know, it's that, in that shared vision and really uh, courageous uh, servant leadership, strong processes, and a people-focused culture is, is where 
real change, lasting change happens. Thank you so much, Atul Tandon, the Tandon Institute. Thank you, Dave, and my very best. What is the Serve Hour? Well, to start, it's a different kind of listening experience. It's one that involves you. Host Jim Blackburn and his engaging guests in some very provocative and opinion-shaping conversations you'll hear and be invited to participate in that will challenge traditional beliefs about management and today's workplace. Also, these conversations will help you look at yourself and your work differently. Make it your business to tune into Voice America Business for The Serve Hour, live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time. It will shake you awake. David B. Savage and his upcoming book, Breakthrough to Yes, Unlocking the Possible Within a Culture of Collaboration, delivers a proven process to make collaboration work for you and your company. While creating the conditions that promote innovation and breakthroughs within and across your business and network, seize this opportunity to join a movement of progressive, principled, and successful leaders. Engage with David B. Savage on Breakthrough to Yes today. Bring him to speak to your organization and engage his executive coaching and business consulting. See much more at davidbsavage.com. Savage's book, Breakthrough to Yes, Unlocking the Possible Within a Culture of Collaboration, will be published worldwide in February 2016. His co-shared book, Ready, Aim, Excel, 52 Leadership Lessons, is an international business bestseller on Amazon. Contact us now for a free 30-minute conversation on how more collaborative leadership may benefit you by visiting davidbsavage.com. That's davidbsavage.com. You are listening to Breakthrough to Yes with Collaboration. To reach David B. Savage or his guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Dave at savagemanage.com. Now, back to Breakthrough to Yes with Collaboration. Joanne Lavoie is a partner of McKinsey & Company. After spending the first decade of her career working in the fields of post-merger management and large-scale transformations in manufacturing and service operations, Johanne focused the last 12 years of her career on next-generation leadership and the human dimensions in transformational contexts. Combining two decades of applied business experience with in-depth expertise in organizational and adult development, and people-intensive system change. That's people-intensive system change. My friend Joanne helps individual leaders and executive teams of global companies facing transformational change. And there's lots of that going on right now. As such, she spends a significant part of her in, in, of her integrating innovating approaches to influence profound changes in mindsets, behaviors, interaction dynamics, and stories in business contexts. So, Joanne is a leader of McKinsey Leadership Development and the divine, Dean, pardon me, <laughs> Divine, I, should, I almost said there, <laughs> and it's probably true, Joanne. And you are the Dean of Centered Leadership Program. I want to also mention specifically to our listeners, Joanne co-authored the book Centered Leadership, 
Leading with Clarity, Purpose, and Impact. And that was published uh, March 2014. A great resource. A great, um, well, a great leader. A divine leader. Let's just throw it out there. So, Johan, uh, how can our listeners know more about you? Where can, she, where can they look you up in addition to buying your book? Um, tell us more about you. Well, now that you've set me up as a divine leader, <laughs> um, lots to live up to. Um, and I guess I would, uh, well, for those more interested in centered leadership, the book is, was written as a practical field guide um, to help readers find their own, uh, their own divine energy and connect with their own divine self and essence. Um, so it's rich with stories of leaders in all domains, but also practical um, applied exercise and reflection that you can do on your own. And it's not a book that you read from A to Z. It's just something you pick up, do a bit of reflection, do a few exercises, go back to. Um, so that's, that's my offer for those who would like to explore it more. So the, you, know, you and I have talked about collaboration being an evergreen topic. Why is it so relevant today in the corporate world? Um, yes, uh, collaboration. I don't think I have one client who doesn't want more collaboration, more trust-based collaboration in the organization. And it is a topic that just never goes outdated and is ever more needed. And I think it comes from uh, the increased amount of complexity that we have to deal with. There's no linear problem, you know, no simple problems anymore. Everything is interconnected. It's, um, systems dynamic, it's big, it's complex, you do something, you create unintended consequence. It's tough to um, to handle some such complexity and volatility without enabling people to collaborate uh, together to create positive and life-affirming change. So I think it's, um, it's something people are grappling with a lot, definitely in organizational life and in public or private sector. And I think our old ways of looking at collaborations have been through formal structure. You know, you want people to collaborate differently, you'll put a structure. You'll do a reorganization structure. You'll change something. You'll change incentive. You'll change uh, systems and process and reporting lines. And in a way, I mean, that, that's necessary because you don't want this to be um, impeding desired collaboration, and these are enabler, but they're so insufficient, and if we only lead with structure, what we get is compliance. You don't get that form of heart-based collaboration where people are going really the extra mile because they're fully committed and engaged. So what my work has been focusing on is looking at collaboration and trust and agility and all these big buzzwords as outcomes of enabling not only the formal structures, but the informal structures in service of bigger visions that you want to create. And maybe that's what I can talk a little bit more about to make it more concrete. Yeah, uh, let's do that. Before we do that, I've got a question, Joanne. You you talked about something that I, I find a lot in my clients and in organizations that I've been exposed to and part of, uh, the cl- compliance behavior versus the heart-centered leadership. What, how, how do you help your clients? How does McKinsey help 
your clients. Go beyond that compliance, and this is the way it's got to be done. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting topic, right? It's easy for us to, I think it's the um, the compliance and the drain of energy is the unintended consequence when we only work with formal structure. As a human being, if you're forced to behave a certain way or forced to collaborate or forced to comply to something, you do it, but you do it without the life energy that comes with it. It's not yours. It's something you're doing to comply. So it's much more how do you actually engage people, life energy, to, to bring their full self to create something that is not but should be. And that's where, to me, the intangible structure the informal is so much more important. That's where things such as vision and things such as creating intimacy in relationship become so much more important. And maybe yeah, it's I, easier if I give a couple of examples for that. Yeah, great. Thank you. You know, one of the... And maybe I'll start with vision. You know, vision, another big buzzword. But... I was talking recently to a client of mine, and she leads a big co-op-based organization, and I was asking her, I said, you know, what's the difference between a network and a community? And she paused for a minute, and she says, the difference between a network and a community is the community shares the same flame. A network is a network of relationship. And she says, and my my job as the leader of this co-op is to light the flame in the hearts of people and to connect these flames. And I asked her, well, what does that have, how does that show up? And she says, well, there's nothing that I don't do, that I do without uh, making sure that if I go and visit a customer, I take one of my leaders with me, you know, one of the vice president with me or one of the uh, general manager with me. And we'll find a way to talk about what matters and what's important and how that connects to the vision. She says, that's how you like flame. And that's what I do all the time is I talk to community to listen and to talk about what matters and to connect people together around what matters. So that to me is at the heart of collaboration is how good are we at lighting the flame, a flame that connects with something that matters to people that we call sometimes vision. But vision and meaning is something that matters to us, something that is not that we want to see happen, something that we want to create. So I think that has a lot to do with um, creating an outcome of genuine heart-based collaboration. The second component that I think is important, because that's a uniting energy, if you want, but the second component is our ability and the courage that we have to be intimate with each other. And I, I have the privilege to work with a lot of senior executive teams. And one of the biggest challenges we learn, we, we have to relearn to be human together and simply to create that space of intimacy where we're willing to be vulnerable with each other, to, um, to open up a little bit more deeply about what we're truly valuing, fearing, worrying about, you know, talking about fears with each other. Very powerful. Talking about what matters to us about legacy, very powerful, and being able to listen to another individual and suspend for a minute the filter of the judgment and stay with genuine curiosity. I don't agree with you, but 
help me understand what are you worrying about? What are you fearing? What is it that, you know, holds us back right now? And I find that is one of the straightest routes to collaboration is the ability to be, to self-disclose and to be more vulnerable and intimate with each other. And the power and the gift that comes through these relationships is, you know, a really genuine collaboration because you pick up the phone to help each other and you cut through the structures that is never, that will never be perfect. And maybe that's why every time I work with a senior executive team, I always ask, well, can we do a dinner first? And, um, and the dinner is always the same thing. And at dinner, we share, um, you know, crucible childhood stories, stories in our childhood that polished us and tried us and formed who we are today. And my experience is that this is always a high point moment. And it's a moment where all of us in real trust happen. And then we can talk more openly about what really matters and vision. And what you You get is very different. Thank you, Joanne. You, You can see me. I can be open with you. And I know that we have each other's backs. Yeah. So as we... As we close this interview, and I wish we could go on for another hour, but in this moment, what's one thing you challenge our listeners to do or become more aware of to make their collaboration more successful? Well, in relation to what I said is, are we willing, to what extent am I pausing to stop and ask the question, what truly matters here? Now, we're talking about something. What, what really matters? Am I truly listening and getting curious about what's the fear that may be underneath, the behavior that I'm not accepting of that other person versus quickly judging them as incompetent or wanting to get up in the morning and do bad in the world? Um, so am I generous with my genuine listening? Am I open with my own fear, my own limitation, my own vulnerability? And... Am I connected with what really matters? And am I, am I even asking the question? Um, not necessarily just once a year, but every day, every moment, in middle yeah. meetings, in the middle of this family dispute, or when engaging my teenager, you know, reconnecting on what matters. And I think creating space for reflection is important and asking those, you know, connecting back to these questions. And... That was my motivation in wanting to write a book that helps to ask some of these questions that we could go back to. Because I so, think we lose, in our days, we've lost sometimes the ability to just pause and be silent and in stillness to uh, get the new knowledge come up or the knowledge that wants to come up to come out. Yeah, and, and our listeners are witnessing you right now that you are on purpose. When I ask a question, there is a pause you're thinking about that question in several different ways and levels around your purpose. So, Joanne Lavoie, Centered Leadership, McKinsey and Company, thank you so much for your wisdom today. You're welcome, and keep doing your great work. Now, today, it was my hope that I would be able to interview a woman that I have great, profound respect for, the President and CEO of Mediators Beyond Borders. Prabha is, uh, well, just contacted me shortly before this recording 
and was not uh, in a position that she could uh, participate. I know she really wants to. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Praba, Mediators Beyond Borders, and one of the climate uh, adaptation summits that uh, we are planning together. Um, MBB, let me go here and just to introduce you to MBB. It's an international non-governmental organization whose mission is to build local skills for peace and promote mediation worldwide. Praba is a conflict transformation practitioner who has mediated, facilitated, and trained in Europe, Asia, Africa, and the United States. Her public and private sector work includes conflict analysis for public and private partnerships, consultation and assessment for industrial development zones, design and implementation of trainings for multinational corporations, interfaith dialogues, as well as facilitation of multi-stakeholder mediations. Prabha is truly international and global. Mediators Beyond Borders serves projects in Turkey, in Ecuador, in New Orleans, uh, and she speaks English, Tamil, and Hindi. So I'll just tell you a little more about um, Mediators Beyond Borders. It's a great peacemaking community. I was at a founding meeting in Colorado eight, maybe even nine years ago, when the visionary Ken Cloak, who has been on this podcast on one of my early shows, and many others set their intention. I'm still a member today. MBB designs and implements strategic and highly targeted projects and global initiatives to advance peace through mediation. Projects and initiatives are operated across MBB's three areas of focus for capacity building, promoting mediation through advocacy, and providing consultancy services. They are long-term initiatives that are carefully reviewed and approved by the board and are continuously assessed for effectiveness. And they really believe in capacity building. They, they, they do great work and they continue to do great work. Now, in addition to Mediators Beyond Borders, um, me, Dave Savage, am also a founder of the Global Collaborative Initiative, CGI, and MBB, just using those acronyms, and others are collaborating to convene climate change adaptation summits at Oxford, England, Vancouver, Canada, and elsewhere. Here's a quick look at what that looks like. This is really exciting stuff I want to share, and I think Prabo would be fine with uh, me sharing this. Other key people are Greg Walker, um, Charlie Graydon, Kathy Porter, Doreen Liberto Blanc, uh, you've heard everyone other than Greg and Prabha on this podcast. So Climate Action Summit, Tools for Collaborative Decisions. We will be hosting October 14 to 16 in, in 2016. That's middle of October 2016 in Vancouver. Summits. This is good stuff. So let's get beyond the debate. Is climate change real, not real? Who's to blame? Who pays the bills? Uh, who do we separate and judge? Let's go with the impacts and how we prepare, adapt, react, and change and collaborate around extreme weather events and changing weather. Let's go there. While there are many climate change events being conducted around the world, there are few opportunities to move beyond dialogue to begin to explore the application of collaborative tools 
collaborative tools to form a consensus on climate change issues. Governments, businesses, and the public need to work together to make timely and effective decisions on climate adaptation. And yet, often, key stakeholders or decision-makers are left out of the conversation. The very first Climate Action Summit, Tools for Collaborative Decisions, will be convened in Vancouver next year. The summit will provide examples of methods to dialogue and collaborate on climate change issues. Applying the tools will begin the conference. Puzzle groups will be invited to actively engage with experts to begin to use in a collaborative fashion. We hope to fund puzzle groups, people that will have key questions that matter, that need to be answered, give them some funding so they can work on how we work together, how do we deal with climate change, extreme weather, how do we make sure this works. You know, just as an aside, uh, one of the conversations that uh, one of our group had uh, reached out to a, a very, very wealthy individual uh, who has uh, an interest in social license to operate, an interest in climate adaptation, and an interest in reducing his risk and vulnerability when he has a billion-dollar stadium uh, at sea level. So this is for us all. This is not a selective group or finger-waggers. This is how are we going to work together. In my home city of Cranbrook, I'm pretty safe but in my life city of Calgary, Alberta, we got the heads up in 2013 when most of the downtown was under about a foot or two of water. How do we prepare for that? How do we engage? How do we react? How do we reduce the lit- litigation? Often, it is uh, same like-minded groups and individuals that are at the table with the same types of decisions being made repeatedly. But who should be at the table? That's what we want to do. Decisions are being made to spend millions and billions of dollars based on the same underlying economic drivers. And there's little or no effort to step back and take a good look at the overall system. So collaboration is complex, requires effort, and does not fit within the crisis management response continuum. I hope that you'll get involved wherever you are. Email me david at davidbsavage.com and I'll keep you up to date on the Climate Change Adaptation Summits. Now today, this show has featured four great leaders with business connections around the planet. Praba wasn't able to join us, but I, I hope that she's satisfied that I've given a bit of a reflection on her great work and the great work of Mediators Beyond Borders. Atul Tandon of the Tandon Institute. He's now in Seattle and grew up in um, India, Johan Lavoie, McKinsey and Company, and Dr. Michael Hill, one of the most brilliant and collaborative neuro- neurologists in the world. Key messages today have included, one, examine the ch- and change the existing ways we do things to capitalize on the collaborative process, outcomes, and the organization's rules of engagement. As human beings, too, we are in forced to act, and you don't do that if you're forced. Get engaged, get people engaged. Three, collaboration is the highway where all people can be linked, honored, and served. Now next week, our theme is leadership and team awareness. This is, this is going to be so cool. Feature guests are 
two experts that I hold in high regard. Well, I think all 45 of my guests I hold in high regard. But these two, with respect to leadership and awareness, is Ginger Lapid Bogda of the Enneagram in Business and Bob Anderson of the Leadership Circle. Bob's book, Mastering Leadership, is just coming out right now, right this week. Call to action this week. Examine one aspect of how you work with others and co-create a better way. Everyone, thank you for your time and your commitment to make it so. Thanks for tuning in this week to Breakthrough to Yes with Collaboration. Your host, David B. Savage, invites you to join us again for another engaging episode next Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a breakthrough week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management 